Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Go ahead and there we go. Let there be light. I guess. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Hey, what an incredible sight to see uh, VBS this past week. Will you just take a moment? Will you thank all our volunteers and leaders who made that? happened. It was an incredible time. Uh, it was so amazing. Hey, again, my name's uh, Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. Actually, he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, you can slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that, read it every single day, because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Three of you think that? Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, uh, again, we're so glad that you are here. We started this series last week in, on the topic of prayer, and we're going to continue that on for the next several weeks and uh, as we prepare for our next book of the Bible. And uh, it's a long book, and it is at the beginning of all the other books, and so you just have to uh, uh, wait for the anticipation of the announcement of which book that is. And uh, so today I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to be looking at a few different passages, which is a little different than what we would normally do. But I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and if you're new to the Bible, you can start on the right and turn left. You'll find it much faster. And you'll see um, Colossians is the book right before that. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Then you'll see the pastoral epistles where we were just at. 1, 2 Timothy and Titus. <coughs> Excuse me. And I want you to look at um, 1 Thessalonians 5 and starting in verse 16. If you're on the online campus, there is a tab there uh, that has the Bible app, the Uversion Bible app, which you can also download on your phone. And uh, so we're so glad you're joining us on the online campus. If you do live local, let me encourage you, do your best uh, to be in person as much as you can. Use the online campus as supplemental uh, to gathering together with uh, the group of believers because here's the reality. You need more than sermons. If you were to ask somebody uh, what uh, helped you with your faith journey, more often than not, they're not going to tell you about a sermon. Uh, most people have forgotten more sermons than I've preached. And, uh, and I've preached a lot of them. And so uh, more than saying, hey, uh, this sermon changed my life, what they'll say is someone changed my life. They interacted with another believer, and they were encouraged by them. And, and, and let me encourage you. And maybe you say, well, I, I don't, I, I'm at a place. I'm, I'm further along. I, I, I'm not really at that. I'm, I'm kind of grown in my maturity, and now I'm at a place of, Isolation. Let me tell you that that's not where you need to be because here's the reality is someone needs you. And so there's somebody here who needs that maturity and, and that walk. And, and so let me encourage you to get here as much as possible. But the reality is it doesn't matter 
where you gather or when you gather, the reality is, is that you need to gather. The, the word church is not a building or a place. It's a gathering of a group of people. In the Greek, it's this word ekklesia, which implies the gathering of the people of God. And so whether you gather in Buellton or, or Lompoc campus, 9, 1045 or online, uh, it is essential that you gather. Amen. Amen. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. It says, rejoice always. Paul writing, uh, he uses similar verbiage. And let me encourage you, when, when pastors, we, we, uh, we begin to develop certain ideas and we've crafted those things, you'll hear things that are repetitive. If you've been here for some time, there's certain stories, there's certain ways of teaching things you've heard or even the intro to my sermon. And so if you, you read this, Paul writes, rejoice always. That sounds like Philippians 4, right? Uh, where he says, rejoice in the Lord always always again I say rejoice what you'll see is patterns Peter's even going to write about Paul's patterns he says when when our beloved Paul writes to you here's the types of things that he begins to say to you and so today we're going to deal with uh, with maybe some familiar things but also encourage you and think differently about some things and so I want you to see that pattern with preachers uh, with teachers with the scriptures certain people write in a certain way and you can kind of pick up on those things verse 16 says rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies but test everything hold fast to what is good abstain from every form of evil that's going to be our main text today, but I'm going to, I'm going to uh, jump back up to verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their works. He's talking about pastors, so remember to esteem me very highly. Amen. I just wanted to add that in there today. Uh, be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, people who are stagnant, people who aren't moving towards admonish them, encourage them, bring them along. Don't, don't discourage them, encourage them, encourage the, the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Then we get to our part. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Never stop. Don't ever stop praying. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace that you would help us talk about this lofty topic, this great gift as... Um, the preacher Leonard Ravenhill says, uh, maybe this is the highest call. Maybe this is the greatest uh, gift that human beings have, the opportunity to pray. And we thank you for that opportunity. We pray now. We pray without ceasing. Encourage our hearts, stir our minds, move us forward. And let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said... 
Amen. We've been talking about this topic of prayer, and I, I talked to you last week uh, about uh, this idea of why to pray. And, and, and the reality is, is everyone prays, and, and statistics are that most people pray. Even, even those who are staunch atheists, statistics say that 17% of all atheists admit to praying sometimes. 30-some percent of atheists actually admit to praying regularly. Now, the Bible says that how can someone uh, pray unless he's been given the gift of faith, a measure of faith, that everyone has a measure of faith, but how can he approach God in prayer if he doesn't first believe that God exists? And so uh, then what we hear is that the faith that we have to pray is a gift, and our, our, our opportunity to pray is a gift. And yet even those who are far from God or, or are opposed in their minds to God still have this draw in them because everyone is given this measure of faith. There's something in them. Are there those who, who have no disposition towards prayer, disposition towards God? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it would be naive to think, uh, even though uh, bad Christian movies, and can I say most of them are bad, we need to get better at that. Some of you are upset with that, but it's just true. And, and yet, some, someone asked me the other day if I, 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 there was a certain movie that I liked that was a Christian movie, and I said, actually, I, I don't. Uh, I don't like them at all. You're like, you're a pastor. All you watch is Christian movies. And I was like, that's a lie. And uh, I watch good movies, and, and, there's, and there's certain ones. But here, here's the reality. Sometimes it... it, 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 it kind of puts a, a paints a light that all people if they're just prodded or convinced or put in a certain scenario that they will somehow eventually believe or the atheist is mad because something bad happened in his life and now he's angry at God but that's not always the case are there scenarios of that absolutely but people are diverse and they come from all different walks of life and we we're praying that God woos and stirs people along but uh, I, Bono said this uh, in an interview with Eugene Peterson Eugene Peterson uh, was the one who put together the message Bible if you have a, the message Bible which is really a paraphrase it, it's not it shouldn't be your main uh, reading of the scriptures because you're going to miss certain things but he was a pastor a Presbyterian pastor as uh, we know a few of those, and uh, and he he decided I want to write uh, the scriptures in uh, common language for my uh, for my congregation. And so uh, he was a scholar and knew Hebrew and Greek, and sat down endeavor to write the Bible and translate the Bible and really paraphrase the Bible in such a way that common people in his congregation could understand incredible uh and uh, i don't know little known singer bono uh <laughs> some of these young people are like yeah who is that right <laughs> Uh, and, and, and yet Bono was in, in an interview uh, about the Psalms with Eugene Peterson. And, and they were talking about the Psalms. You can find this on YouTube. It's by Fuller Studios. I don't know anyone who's connected with Fuller either. And, uh, and, and yet they have this conversation about the Psalms. And what Bono said he loved about the Psalms was the honesty of the Psalms. 
that, that there's, there's, there's some frustration when you read the Psalms. See, Psalms is a, is a song book, but it's also a book of prayers. And, and the way the authors put them together, the kind of the, not really the authors, but really those who canonized the passage, they grouped them together and in order to tell the story of the people of Israel. And so there's actually sections of the book of Psalms. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to dive more into the book of Psalms and, and see how the structure, as we read it, takes us on the journey uh, of the people of God, but, but Bono said this about Christian music, and I think it rings true about Christian movies and Christian media and kind of Christian culture, uh, which is this idea uh, that everything will always go well in the end. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, and, and yet reality teaches me something different. And Bono said, I, I, I think what Christian music misses is the honesty. He said, how about write a, a song about your bad marriage? How about write a song about how things didn't go well? But if you turn on pop Christian radio or you pop in a Christian movie, you don't do that anymore. We don't pop in movies anymore, do we? It's the VCR, like, <laughs> no one, only it's a certain generation that knows what I'm talking about, right? And now, now we stream movies on demand. Maybe you got pure flicks and, and you subscribe to the Christian culture of that. The reality is, is what's, what it says to us is that prayer has, or, or Christian life and prayer ties into that, that it always has niceties and it always has this sense that everything is going to be okay and at the end we'll find ourselves in a rom-com and somehow Matthew McConaughey is going to show up and uh, all right, all right, all right, right? And, and yet that is not the experience that we have, amen? And, and so what I think we can begin to talk about is when it, when it comes to prayer, it's what what is prayer then? What is prayer? We even say why prayer, and 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 yet people pray, and it doesn't always work out the way sometimes Christian culture propagates. And yet I I find myself in a place of 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 posture before the Lord, when I, when I find myself in a moment of needing the Lord, do you ever find yourself in a moment of needing Jesus to show up? And it says, is it just me? And then you ask the question, like, what is this thing that I'm doing? What is prayer? Especially if the scriptures tell me to pray without Ceasing, and what does that mean? Do I just walk around uh, Albertsons and like for His glory and the good of the valley? Like we're like, who's this guy, right? Like you just and what does it what does it mean? Is prayer always? I never stop. I'm always prayer is on my knees. Prayer is with with uh, folded hands. Is prayer with a bowed head? Is is prayer certain? cadences is prayer certain traditions what is prayer if Paul says rejoice always pray without ceasing have you ever found prayer to not be enjoyable I'll wait <laughs> remember that whole thing about Christian culture actually being honest 
Let's pray. Have you ever found prayer not to be enjoyable? You're in good company. On the night Jesus was betrayed, just before Judas Iscariot walks into the garden and greets our Lord with a kiss to betray him and identify him, even though they all knew who he was, on that particular night, Jesus asked the disciples to pray with him. And many of us know the story that the disciples fell asleep after a nice meal that they shared together, uh, maybe a glass of wine that they shared together, and now they're in a garden and they're reclining against uh, a tree branch or, or, or trunk, and, and they're uh, sitting there. The Lord is off in the distance, and he won't notice, and he finds them multiple times sleeping, and he says this, Will you not pray with me one hour? Can you know, man, man the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, there's something in me that's driving me towards prayer, but then there's this other thing, this war going on. You ever notice that? I mean, I go to pray, and then my, I, I'm all of a sudden like craving food instantly. You ever notice that? Right? You get to church, and you're like, what time's lunch? Right? There's something in us that, that is constantly pulling us away. And, and I, I begin to describe it this way. And, and we, we were kind of discussing this in sermon prep this past weekend. And I'm still working on all the dynamics of this illustration. I keep trying to use it and reuse it and tweak it. Because at the end of the day, our examples, our metaphors, our, our kind of illustrations will always fall short. So that's why we talked about last week, I want to prepare the appetizer for you that you go hunting and you go look for, uh, for nourishment from the Lord on your own and you're not dependent upon the pastor because my words will fall short, my illustrations will come up short, it, it won't sustain you because it's not the scriptures, amen? You should do better than that. It's not the scriptures, amen? Right? And so, and so you should be dependent on the scriptures, not on a pastor. You, you should be dependent on the Lord Jesus, right? And, and not on your church community. All those, although those are helpful, those are a part of the process, but, but I should be looking for nourishment from the scriptures. So, so I begin to kind of play with this illustration a little bit. And Romans begins to tell me that the status that I am in, in my sinful nature... Paul will say it this way, uh, the thing that I want to do, that's not what I do. You ever find yourself in a Britney Spears song? Oops, I did it again, right? The, th the thing that I want to do, that's not what I do. The thing that I hate, that's what I tend to do. And then he makes this comment. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Here's a statistic for you. 100% of all people die. Okay? That's really morbid? No, it's true. Okay? And, and for Christians, we understand life and death differently. And now we quote the passage, and it's powerful. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not 
perish but have everlasting life. What is everlasting life? Everlasting life is life that death cannot stop. Why? Because we believe in our Lord Jesus who conquered death, defeated death, put death to death. And now death is fundamentally different. It is not final. It is not something to be feared. For Paul says this, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so then I move not from life to death, but from life to life. Now death becomes a minuscule doorway, doorway moving me from life to to life. And Paul writes it this way, as long as I am in this body, I am traveling in a body of death. You ever notice that? And, the, and at times when we are most at odds with God, when we are most sinful, to use that word, to miss the mark, when our trajectory is off, see the word sin is this idea of kata in Hebrew, which is an archer shooting an arrow. And, and sin is this idea of missing the bullseye, missing the mark. Now, now here's the idea of the trajectory of an arrow from, from a short throw arrow, the, the aim being a slight bit off. If you've ever sh uh, done any archery or any shooting or anything like that, uh, uh, when uh, the, the great movie, The Patriot with uh, Mel Gibson, he tells his young sons when he's teaching them to shoot, he says, aim small, miss small. And yet, for us, this archer, if the aim from here to there is just slightly off, you won't notice it. But stretch that out over a lifetime. Stretch that out over generations. Stretch that out over millennia. What will a society, what will a family, what will an individual be if his aim is even slightly off? And that's what happens the further the tra trajectory. So then I aim small, miss small. Paul's, Paul says it this way, uh, to make sure that you take care of the little things for it is the small foxes that spoil the vine. And so then what I do is I, I begin to have a shorter target. I begin to, to take care of the small things in my life because the small things add up to big things. Are you with me? The, the small behaviors, the small habits, the small thoughts turn into words and words become actions and actions habits and habits become my character and character will ultimately determine where I am going. And so I have to make sure that my thought life, my speech aligns ultimately. But here's the reality is my body keeps throwing off my aim. Have you ever noticed that? My body, when I'm hungry, we call that hangry at my house. You ever seen it? Right? You don't seem to be yourself. Eat a Snickers, right? Like, like there are things you can tie to your aim being off has to do with your physical body. I am hungry. I am lonely. I am hurting. I am tired. And you can find that you want to do good. You want to be nice. But I'm extremely frustrated right now. Remember that whole thing about Christian culture being honest. Let's be honest. And Paul says, 
Who will deliver me from this body of death, this body that when I'm hurting, when I am hungry, uh, when, when I'm in states of need physically, these are the moments where the enemy begins to pull me away. He traps me in my own present reality. I, I'm convinced this pain will never stop. I'm convinced that this hurt will never stop. I'm convinced that this need that I have will never be satiated. And yet, that's the enemy's tactics. And so, Paul begins to tie this thing of rejoicing and prayer. And I think this is the idea that we have, this body of death. I begin to describe it. This is essentially... When you read the book of Romans, and Romans is a book in which helps us understand all of the other epistles. And so we've talked about different books of the Bible, and, and so uh, th this is how you should think about it. Have you ever read the Old Testament and thought, what? Let me try that again for this side of the room. You ever read the Old Testament and you thought, what? Right? Glad we're all on the same page. Right, And so when you read the Old Testament, some of what we did with, with Vacation Bible School this week as we taught, and we taught Jesus, many of the things we, t we teach right here, I taught on this stage to our children in a way in which they could understand them. And we taught Jesus. Uh, sometimes what we do, even in our kids' curriculum, and we, try, we endeavor here at Crossroads, if you're a parent, let me, let me just explain to you what we try to do. We try to make it all about... And that means from the youngest to the oldest. And sometimes what we do is we, it's easy to tell stories and fantastic stories. And so we can get caught up in the Old Testament. And when we were young, we learn Old Testament stories and we have no ability to uh, kind of rectify where that fits in the story of God. We'll paint nurseries that are uh, Noah's Ark, but there's no floating bodies. I've been waiting to tell that joke for a long time. All right? Like, like, just stop with Noah's Ark and the nursery. Just don't do it, right? Because here's the reality. This story is about everyone else getting it wrong and one person getting it right. His name is Jesus. And Jesus begins to show these two what we call fools on a road to Emmaus. After the resurrection, he encounters two fools, and they begin to discuss all that had happened. They tell Jesus stories to Jesus and miss that they were with Jesus. And we have churches telling stories about Jesus and missing the person of Jesus. Oh, that's pretty good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Right? And so let's not be people who miss the point so the book of Luke tells us these two fools on a road to Emmaus are with Jesus telling Jesus stories. And then it says that Jesus began to reveal to them all of the scriptures concerning himself. He's the first expositional Bible preacher. He's the one who actually says to us, this isn't Pastor Sam's idea, this isn't, this isn't a Presbyterian idea, a Reformed idea, this isn't a Pentecostal idea or charismatic idea, to preach Jesus in every single text of the Bible. This is from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself where he opens the book and reveals all the scriptures concerning himself. 
And so when I read the Old Testament, I read it in light of the New Testament and the Gospels. And Jesus shows me. That's why the authors will say, and he said this in order to fulfill this. He did this in order to show this. He said this and did this that this might be fulfilled. The Gospels help me understand how the Old Testament fits together and the story of God. Are you tracking with me? So then... You ever read the Gospels and Jesus says some things and you're like, what? See, some of you are less honest because you're like, whoa, it's the words of Jesus, right? You were good with like, what? Leviticus. And I'm like, Jesus, parables. And you're like, mm, right? You ever, you ever read the words of Jesus and think, what? Stuff like it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven and you live in the richest society in the history of the world. (laughs) You ever read stuff like that? Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood or you'll have no part with me. You ever read this, the words of Jesus, the stories of Jesus and think, I'm not sure I know what that is means the rest of the new testament begins to help us with that the epistles begin to help us understand what jesus was saying and he did this and to fill this and this is how he fulfilled that the book of romans is one of those books the books of rome the book of romans is paul's dissertation if you will man he goes all out there's no other book like the book of romans and if you've read the book of romans oftentimes it is such a heady book and a lofty book that you begin to section off different parts of the book of romans and so we spent maybe 40 weeks as a church in the book of romans and yet I reference it all the time because it is, it is helpful for us in understanding other parts of Scripture. So what happens is, is we, we begin to read Romans 1 and 2. And if you only read Romans 1 and 2, you'll miss a lot of what Romans 3 is about. And then if you only read Romans 1, 2, and 3, uh, and, and you don't realize that I need to also then group together 4, 5, 6, and 7, and really 4, 5, and 6, and then 7, 8, 9 are going to go together. 11 and 12 are going to go together. You see the pattern here? He begins to write in such a way that I need to know the parts in front to know the rest of it. And so here's what he begins to tell us in Romans 7, that who will deliver me from this body of death? This thing that I want to do, that's not what I do. The thing that I hate. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about our sinful nature, the state that we live live in. And we find ourselves. But then he'll go on to say, he'll say this, but praise be to God. Praise be to God for the spirit of the life of Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. He says that actually a sinful nature is almost like the laws of gravity. It just happens. That's just how it is. And sinful people do sinful things because they have no other option. And yet, he says, for us who are in Christ, praise be to God, for the Spirit of Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, I've described the first part of this this way. 
the first part, this, this idea that I'm trapped in a body of death going in certain directions, I've compared it to a Tesla, okay? A Tesla on autopilot heading off into, there's, there's one that looks like it went off a cliff in our parking lot. Anyways, uh, whole other story. And, and yet, and yet what Paul begins to describe, it says that this was always the case and sin happened before the law, before even the knowledge of right and wrong laid out for us in the law of Moses. And then he says this, he says, when the law came, sin increased or in other words the knowledge of sin the feeling of guilt the reality of where i'm at and so it's like this it's as if you're trapped in a car a tesla these electric vehicles and that's trapped on autopilot the steering wheel not will not move the way i want to go and here's this conversation of the trajectory that it's going off in the wrong direction. Well, if I'm just going in the parking lot, no big deal. But if I get on the highway and I'm beginning to go in the wrong direction. And then here's what happens. Have you seen those big, beautiful screens they have that somehow take care of dogs when people are in restaurants? It's weird. My owner is just inside enjoying themselves. The AC is on. There's this screen and there's a map on that screen. And that map is telling you where you're going. But could you imagine being trapped in it? The doors will not open. And yet the screen is telling you, turn around. You're going the wrong way. There's a cliff up ahead. You're going to go off of the cliff. The screen is warning you, turn around. And you have no ability to turn around. And now you know. Now, if the screen wasn't there, you would have no knowledge of where you're going and you would be ignorant and ignorance is bliss. And you wouldn't know it until you went off into the abyss. But the knowledge of the law came. God gave us the law and now we realize where we're going. Now we have a map and we realize we're going the wrong direction. And who will deliver me? The thing I want to do, that's not what I do. The thing that I hate, that's what I do. I can't seem, I find this law to be at work in my members when I'm hungry, when I'm lonely, when, when, I'm, uh, when I'm hurting. This, this is what I find. And like I'm on autopilot, I can't help but move away from God's way and do my own way. Have you found this to be true in your life? But then he says, praise be to God who has set me free from the law of sin and death. It's as if someone allows me to eject from this Tesla to move out, to hit the eject button and resurrect me out of this body of death. Now, what does this have to do with prayer? See, I, I think the illustration could go something like this. And here's what I say. They, it has limitations. It doesn't always work. But the Bible begins to describe that once I was a slave to sin, and now I'm a slave to righteousness. Now, here's the idea. Here's what I find to be true, and you can journey with me and play with this idea, and we can kind of talk through this illustration. It's as if our body has a software update. 
It's as if our spirit is awakened. It's as if the Tesla that we're in is no longer trapped, but it's still somewhat broken. It doesn't quite drive right all the time. I feel new. It feels new, but sometimes I find myself in old behaviors. No, just me, just the pastor, right? I find myself in old behavior. And here's the way it is with God. Where I once was a slave to sin, God allows us to submit to his spirit. Now, he doesn't come in and take control of our bodies. He doesn't come in like the Tesla on autopilot. It's not just switching from one autopilot to the next autopilot. It's actually a submission to the update that we have, knowing that there's still some flaws, some dents, and some dings in our bodies, and sometimes there's some glitches in the software where I move in a different direction, but I begin to submit to his work. Here's what Romans 8 begins to say after Romans 7. Romans 8 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches the heart, hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What is prayer? Prayer is your opportunity to, in a real and practical and yet supernatural way, follow Jesus. Prayer is your opportunity to leave the autopilot, the law of sin, moving away from God's way, and prayer is a vehicle for you, a very real and tangible yet supernatural way to follow Jesus. So someone says to you, you must follow Jesus. And the next question is you say, how do you follow a ghost? You ever been there? How do you follow Jesus? I can't see him, I can't touch him. I, I, I can't seem to wrap my, yeah, it was easy for Peter to follow him. It was easier for Matt to follow him and Bart. They could see him. How do I see you? Last week we talked about why pray? Because prayer is actually my opportunity to see Jesus. Paul says, I pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to see Jesus. So what is prayer? Prayer is the vehicle in which you follow Jesus as a believer. Prayer is you getting in in a disciplined way. He's not going to force you to do it for it is for freedom. You have been set free and yet there's a discipline to this. There's a devotion to this. There's an opportunity to do this without ceasing. There's this opportunity to enjoy this journey that you are on. See, it's not a destination. It is a journey. That's why I use the vehicles as this illustration. That this is the way. How do I follow Jesus? Through prayer. Now, you may think prayer is this 
This way in which I move to my knees, it's a position of prayer. It's what I do at the end of service. It's what I do before the kids go to bed. It's what I do uh, over a meal. But what if I told you prayer, as Leonard Ravenhill says in the video, prayer is not a position, but it is a disposition. Prayer is this, I'm allowing the spirit now to be the driver. I'm getting into the vehicle again, and I'm saying, Lord, your will be done, not my will. Where do you want to go? I'll follow you. All of a sudden, prayer becomes this, this sightseeing journey that's not quite tourism because you live here. But along the way, he's going... Have you noticed this? Hey, did you see this? Hey, I want to show you something here. See, you say, well, Pastor Sam, see, there's this idea, and we confuse it, and Pastor Tyler brought it to my attention. He said this. He said, there are no unanswered prayers, only ungranted prayers petitions see when you view prayer this way there is no such thing as unanswered prayer because prayer is an invitation for you to follow Jesus and the answer to that prayer is always yes but there is an ungranted petition that's why Philippians says it this way and mirrors this. That's why I pointed out the rejoicing. In Philippians 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You're going to be on this journey. Enjoy it. Enjoy the sights, the sounds, the meals, the opportunity. See this as a vehicle without ceasing, nonstop. You get to journey through this life with Jesus. I get to communicate with him. I get to hear him. I get to know. He points out me, to me things that I never thought. It's a conversation. Tim Keller says it this way, prayer is the communicative response to the knowledge of God. A communicative response to the knowledge of God. Now, I disagree with Keller as he says, as your knowledge of God grows, then the fervency and almost potency of your prayers increase. Because I think a child can have no knowledge of his father in depth, but the father hears the cries of his baby. You can be a small child in the faith because here's the idea, it's, this, isn't, this isn't about your works. This is about the door that God has provided for us to walk with him. And see, this has always been the conversation. This is actually, you go, Pastor, I don't know, is that really a biblical view of prayer? Well, I don't know, what did it start with? Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. Jesus comes in the New Testament and says, follow me, and they go on a walk. Then what is it for us? It's going for a walk with Jesus every day, nonstop, with conversations. 
And he begins to reveal himself to me. And this is an opportunity for everyone. The answer is always yes. The Bible says in James, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If prayer is about being... God revealing himself to me, if prayer is the vehicle for seeing Jesus, then the answer to prayer is always yes. He will never keep himself from you. You want to know more of him? The answer is always yes. You want to see him more clearly? The answer is always yes. You want to see how good and lovely and praiseworthy he is? The answer is always yes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. See, when you realize the Lord is near, that hungry, hurting, and lonely, all that begins to fade away because my joy is found in who God is. And I am least gentle and most sinful when I am enjoying other things other than Him and what He brings to my life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he says this, with thanksgiving, supplication, and petition, make your requests known. See, you're going to journey with Jesus through the vehicle of prayer. And along the way, you'll need things. That's why this is an encompassing view of prayer. That's why we talked about the, the Lord's prayer, if you will. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. All of a sudden there is needs, there are petitions. And what you'll find is as you journey with Jesus, you'll find out what you really need versus what you thought you wanted. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. But if your delight is in the Lord, what you desire is the Lord. And he will always say yes when you ask to be with him. It was a few years back, my son. I was getting, I was coming over to preach. He was like four years old. And he was laying on the arm of the couch as I was the, the couch is right by the door in the front room as we, um, as I was exiting. I thought he was completely asleep. And my son Judah, at four years old, he's now eight, just wakes up and looks at me. A little freaked me out a little bit, i got to be honest. Just like sleep. And he's like, Dad. He's like, yeah? He's like, you know how you can't hear God when he talks? but he makes you know. I was like, yeah, bud. Is that how it works? The Bible says out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, his word will be established. That's why the Bible compares this idea. See, prayer, you have to humble yourself. Next week, I'm going to talk about how do we pray? How do we jump in this vehicle? How do we begin to use this opportunity of prayer? Why pray? So I can meet with Jesus. What is prayer? The vehicle of journeying with Jesus. And along the way, this conversation that you have with God, he will make you know. It won't always be audible. And it doesn't always sound like your voice in your head. 
Sometimes he'll deposit things in you that you don't know why you know what you know, but you just know it. It's truthful. You know, we can't make that decision. We need to go here. I feel like God is calling us here. That's why he says, don't despise prophecy. Don't quench the spirit. Because the spirit that has awakened you, that has lifted you out of your body of death, he is propelling you forward. He is the fuel in the vehicle. The Holy Spirit of God. We pray by the Spirit through the, through the person of Jesus to God the Father. He is the very essence. It's as if it's on autopilot. You can get out at any time. You can quench the Spirit or you can submit to the work of the Spirit. And He'll point things out and He'll show you things. And he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. He'll comfort you. And even when you find yourself traveling through the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for he is with you. Prayer is the high calling to follow Jesus. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, you are good and you are good to us. Prayer is the practical and real supernatural way to follow Jesus. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, with wisdom and revelation, reveal to us the person of Jesus that we can without ceasing follow you. We can rejoice and be with you. And along the way, you'll make us know your will and your way for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen. amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?